You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 22. Brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at bleedinggreennation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. And as always, here to break down the quarterbacks across the league coming into the draft as QB1 in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing, brother? I'm doing fantastic, my friend. It's a pleasure to be with you live from the Poconos. <laughs> Here in Pennsylvania, a little family trip, a little spring break action. It is a well-timed trip, I must say, with the draft now a week away. It's the perfect time to sort of get away and get to a place where it's kind of tough to be plugged in all the time. But it's probably for the best. I will say the entertainment last night at dinner was fascinating. <laughs> okay, It was a 90s-themed dinner, and we had an old guy, I got to say north of 75, playing a Casio in the dining hall. And I was telling you guys this in the Twitter DMs, but I do want to share it with the gentle listeners. He went from Nothing Else Matters by Metallica <laughs> into The Sound of Silence, into the Game of Thrones theme. Guy's got range. It was like a tour de force from this guy on his little Casio. I, I was just I was I was blown away. So fantastic time. Great to be with you. Quick historical note on this day in history. We're recording this April 18th. We had the great San Francisco fire, 1906. That kind of, you know, took that city to its knees, toppled buildings, all that kind of crazy stuff. We also had the bombing in Beirut, 1983. Paul Revere, William Dawes, they set out on horseback this day in 1775 to warn of the attack. The British had come and the British had come and that sort of laid the way to, of course, Patriots Day in New England in the Boston area, one of the best days in the Boston area. The Doolittle Raid on Tokyo, 1942. Ooh. And actually, we are living some history today. The long-awaited Mueller report dropped, and if you want some information on that, you're going to have to go to another <laughs> show because we are certainly not going to wait into that on this one. Just say that right now. Definitely, yeah. I think mock drafts are more popular than politics. As, as somebody that follows both, what's worse, do you think? I mean, maybe I ask myself this, but draft Twitter or politics Twitter? I'm going to – Because I think I feed it to both. And they're both awesome. Yeah, they're, they're pretty bad. I would say politics Twitter is just a, a vicious place to be. I think in draft Twitter, you can at least have some conversations sometimes with some people. I think there are more – the ratio has more reasonable people in draft Twitter, I would guess. I You know, it's not so much draft Twitter. I think it's the people that annoy me the most are the ones that just jump in your mentions with no intention to debate or put out a good point and they just like – come to insult you like they're just the most insecure people on the planet in my opinion like the people that see a ranking of say hollywood brown <laughs> and you just think this is embarrassing for example yeah and i just had someone comment on my wide receiver rankings and say what is this guy just doing this for views like what do views pay on twitter i don't i don't 
understand the correlation there. I must be missing those checks. I haven't gotten my Twitter check yet. Yeah, I need my Twitter checks. Maybe if I get verified, they'll give you some Twitter checks. Is that how that works? Well, look, speaking of mock drafts not being popular, uh, as we go into this NFL draft for a week away, uh, do you have any final thoughts on this QB class before we talk about the main topic of the show, which is going to be the NFC South quarterback rooms around the league? Last time we did the NFC East. Uh, maybe I can kickstart your brain ball by citing the latest mock by Daniel Jeremiah. This was released April 16th. And first off, something Eagles related real quick. DJ has the Eagles taking Marquise Brown wide receiver from Oklahoma at 25 overall. I'll be the first to say that I don't love the pick, but I wrote a piece for bleedinggreennation.com talking about the fit and how I'd feel better if they utilized him in the slot more often than he was at Oklahoma, which would in turn alleviate some concerns about him not holding up first contact throughout the route and at the catch point. Uh, some stats that expand on that to wet your whistle before you go read the article. Brown only ran 23% of his routes from the slot last year, but on those 85 snaps, He had 40% of his targets, 43% of his receptions, 48% of his yards, 8 of his 10 touchdowns came from the slot, a QB rating of 148.2 when targeted, and, and this is bonkers, 7.45 yards per route run from the slot, more than two full yards than second place. Crazy efficient when they moved him inside, and I would hope if, if the Eagles did draft him, that's where we'd see most of his snaps. Obviously, that would be a referendum on Nelson Aguilar, of whom I'm a fan, but he's on the last year of his contract, and my personal feelings aren't taken into account in the war room, even though we know Howie and Joe Douglas are avid listeners of the feed. Okay, Mark, I got you here, so let's talk quarterbacks. At number one overall, Daniel Jeremiah has the Cardinals taking Kyler Murray from Oklahoma. No shock there. At number six, and this is the dream, it's only better if they package 6-17 and 17 to trade up. He has the Giants taking Daniel Jones from Duke. A-plus on that, DJ. I think the big surprise, but not really, because I talked about this with the Foles market before he officially walked in free agency. But at 11 overall, the Bengals take Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State. And DJ had one more bullet left in the chamber. This one's spicy. Number 30, Green Bay Packers. Drew Locke from Missouri is the pick, which, man, oh man, Mark. I cannot wait to see the 30 for 30 on that quarterback room. 15 years from now let's deal with that one first because it's not outside the realm of possibility that the packers go quarterback and that they go locked there if he falls because they've met with him and the interesting thing is there's an argument to be made that the packers should be thinking quarterback and i know that sounds almost sacrilegious right Mm. it's aaron Rodgers. it's the one of the most talented quarterbacks in the game right now but if you look at Recent production, or more accurately, lack thereof, there's a case. I mean, Scott Barrett, who does work over a pro football focus, he looked at depth-adjusted completion percentage, something done by Mike Clay back in 2013. It kind of strips away throwaways, batted passes, plays where the quarterback was hit at the throw, and it treats drops as completion. So they adjust the completion percentage. And then what they do is then examine that in contrast with expected completion percentage by depth. For example, last year, the guy that was the best in this, Drew Brees, had a completion percentage, this adjusted completion percentage of 83% against an expected completion percentage, again, adjusted still, of 75%, Mm. which is an 8% jump, biggest in the league. Now, Aaron Rodgers, his adjusted completion percentage was 74.4 against the expected of 73.2, a bump of just 1.2%, i.e. he's not doing that much to really create stuff. Who is on par with that? Joe Flacco and Jameis Winston. 
Like not exactly good company. <laughs> and then when you sort of expanded a bit, when you look at Rodgers in his career in this category, in this metric, in 2008, second in the league, 2009, third, 2010, third, 2011, first, 2012, third, 2013, first, 2014, fifth. And then 2015, 25th, then 15th, 8th, and 22nd last year. Mm. Now, it's just one stat. But everybody has been sort of saying that, look, Mike McCarthy, the offense is stale, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe so. And maybe from 2015 on, we've seen some of that bear out in these numbers. But what if it isn't? Yeah. And they've got LaFleur in there. They're expected to be, you know, this better offense. They're going to do some more stuff, spread things out, more of the Sean McVay stuff. What if it doesn't click, Mike? Yeah. And then you're wondering two years from now or a year from now, well, what do we do now? And so if you've got this thought in the back of your mind as a as an organization, as a front office, that maybe Rodgers' best days are behind him and that there's a little bit more to the he's in the cloud as opposed to Mike McCarthy's offense gets stale, if Locke is there at 30, draft the hedge. Yeah. You've got two first-round picks. You can address tight end or another need at 12, and then you just protect yourself. Because we all know if you're a year late on replacing your quarterback, you are behind schedule. You might face a lost season. And some organizations, some GMs, some front office people, some head coaches don't get an off year to buy themselves some time. There's maybe one in this league, Bill Belichick. And even he would tell you, you've got to be in your head as evidenced by the fact that they've drafted nine quarterbacks since Brady. And they've drafted Garoppolo in 14, Brissett in 16, and I can guarantee they're going to draft a quarterback in this one. What do you think, your personal opinion of the career arc of Aaron Rodgers, if you had to bet, would you say that this was more to have to do with the offense being stale and the friction between Rodgers and McCarthy? And obviously there's the Bleacher Report article about you know his leadership and, and all that stuff. But if you had to bet, would you, would you say it's because the offense was stale and would you expect to see better from Rodgers this year? Sitting here right now, I would place my money on – it's going to be a better offense. They're going to spread things out a bit. Rodgers is going to get challenged in a new way rather than the same playbook he's had for 15 years. And so he's going to get closer to those earlier decades, those earlier years we were talking about. But that's sitting here right now. You know, it's easy to make that case. It's a lot harder to make that case if we get into, say, week four, week five, week six, and he's still sort of a middle-of-the-pack quarterback in terms of production. I would bet my money now that, look, he's going to get back to four. But – you can't wait if you're an organization. You can't run that risk. Now, maybe Locke comes off the board at you know 15 or something to Washington, for example, in this scenario. And they don't have to make that decision because I don't think you're dipping into Will Greer at 30 as much as I might like him. I think they would go in a different direction. And so maybe they go more later on development to quarterback. But I think Green Bay is a team that probably wants to consider a quarterback at some point in this draft because you look around, who would they have? They have – Behind him, Deshaun Kaiser, who it seems like he might have been sort of injured at the beginning of his career under Hugh Jackson, let's just put it that way. <laughs> Not physically injured, but perhaps mentally injured. Yeah. And then Tim Boyle. Yeah. And I got to ask you, Mike, <laughs> who is Tim Boyle? I don't know. I have no idea who this person is. I had to look him up. I, I, I still I pull up his Wikipedia page. It does nothing for me. So <laughs> they still don't have a lot of options behind him anyway. So they probably want to address quarterback, even if it's if more of a day three Jared Stidham, Gardner Minshew type pick. 
But mm. I think they want to do it in this draft, just as a hedge, just in case. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think Tim Boyle's like a character on Deadwood. He's like, he was running with Ed Sheeran on Thrones and he got his eyebrows melted off. So what we're going to do today, now that we've dealt with that, any anything else on the mock? Do you like the fit with Haskins at I 11 to the Bengals? I love Haskins at 11 to Cincinnati. I think, that's, I think that's fantastic. Look, they've got the young offensive-minded head coach. Let him get his quarterback. You've tapped out with Andy Dalton. Yeah. I think Murray, uh, as much as... Some people are wavering on that. I think that's more a negotiated employee. Look, we're getting close to draft time, and maybe we're not sold on Murray. You're going to make us a better off of Rosen type situation. So mm. I still expect Murray at 101. Then there's Daniel Jones at six, buddy. And <laughs> if, if that happens, Twitter will be so much fun for the rest of the first round if they do it at six. If, like you say, they package six and 17 to go up and get him. Like, look, if he's your top quarterback – or if he's your number two guy after Murray and you still want to address quarterback, I'm fine with addressing quarterback in this draft. I've written, I've said it on multiple occasions. I think the Giants have to. But man, <laughs> Daniel Jones at six, man, I, don't, I just don't know if it could be me. I wouldn't have the stones for it. I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't. Let's put it this way. You know, him at six or 17 or Greer at 36 or, you know, on down the line. Hmm. Like I would much rather if the draft sort of fell the way Locke is there. I mean, excuse me, Jones is there at six, whatever. Jones is there at 17, whatever. I would much rather have Greer at, 30, or at 37 or 96 yeah. than Jones at six or 17. I would definitely agree with that. And then you throw in the possibility of trading up for him. And I am just ecstatic about what the Giants are going to do in this draft. Yeah. Moving on from the draft talk, let's let's get to the main topic of the show, which is analyzing the quarterback rooms around the NFC South. Like I said earlier in this series, we did the NFC East quarterback. So we talked some Wentz, we talked some Dak and so on and so forth. But we're going to go around the league with this throughout the offseason to bring you some content. Take a look at some of these teams first up. And you wrote about this for Pro Football Weekly. You can go check that out. I'll throw the link in the show description. The Atlanta Falcons. You have here that since drafting Matt Ryan in the first round of the 2008 NFL draft, the Falcons have drafted one, yes, one quarterback. Sean Renfrey, seventh round, 2013. Barely even counts as a selection. So when you look at what they have at quarterback with Matt Ryan, who obviously starting caliber player behind him, I can't believe Matt Schaub is still in the league. I had no idea. And then what what else do you have going on in that room? What do you suggest? Kurt Benkert. Uh, Kurt Benkert. Goodness. I mean, are you really going to roll with Kurt Benkert as your quarterback in the future? And I'm going to say that like one quarterback since 2008 blew my mind. Yeah, that's crazy. I had to like triple check that. And yes, they had Chris Redmond in place already when they drafted Ryan. They had Schaub in for two different stints via free agency. And so I guess you could say that, yeah, they had a viable backup option. But in this league, you still, still see teams like look to address at least backup quarterback every so often. And again, the New England Patriots, nine quarterbacks drafted since Brady. And I'm not talking just a bunch of like seventh round guys. I mean, Garoppolo, Brissett, Ryan Mallett, who they drafted in the third, I believe. And he was getting some first round love. Hmm. And so it's not like they were just like, oh, let's just throw away some draft picks. We get some Brady, this Brady guy. They were always looking to upgrade at least behind him. And I think teams have to do that. This idea that like, look, you roll with your starter. You don't worry about the back of position because if the starter goes down, well, your team, your season's lost anyway. I, don't, I think that's a losing mentality. I think you've got to go too deep at every position, quarterback especially, and you've got to have a viable guy behind your starter. And so maybe Matt Schaub in sort of an ideal situation, not that any injury is an ideal situation, but say Matt Ryan like rolls an ankle 
and can't go for two weeks. Mm. Sean could probably keep you afloat. But if he goes ACL on you, he's not getting you like 10, 15 games of high-quality play. Right. And I don't think Kirk Bankard is doing it either. And so I think you've got to start thinking about upgrading the backup spot. And Schaub is almost 40. Like, how much more does he have in the tank? Jeez. Like, the, the impetus, Mike, let me just tell you a little background. The impetus for this entire series was a conversation I had with Matt Williamson when we were going through some, some quarterback landing spots. And we got to some of the teams in the NFC South, and he was just like, look, there are two teams in this division that have the worst backup situations in the league, like hands down. And Atlanta, I think, is, as he said, and I agree with him, Atlanta's one of them. They got they to upgrade this backup spot because Banker, Shaw, mm, nah, it's not working for me. So who who fits that offense as far as maybe a day three guy that you could get? You th- I, obviously, I don't think they would go day two when you have Matt Ryan in the building. But who is somebody that you would develop behind Matt Ryan? You know, Jared Stidham is a guy that makes sense schematically, 45 might be a little rich for him. You know, if he's still there at 80, that's, you know, they're picking the third round. I think that makes sense. I don't know if he gets to 118. Now, if you get beyond him, if it's more of a day three guy, Tyree Jackson, you know, I think he makes some sense. Dirk Carter coming back. He's more of a downfield Coriel type guy. You're going to want somebody that can go downfield. I think Stidham, when you get into the weeds of that Auburn stuff, you see him running some some Eric Coriel concepts, and that's what he looks at his best. I think that obviously fits with Tyree Jackson. Maybe a Jordan Tamu, if you want to get really deep into this draft, he might make some sense. I'm not sure about Finley. I mean, I think Finley's more of a, a West Coast or Perkins type of guy. But I think Stidham, Jackson, and maybe Tamu, if you get sort of late into day three, would make some sense for them. So those are some names to watch for the Atlanta Falcons as we go through the draft. And when we come back here on the QB Sco Show, episode 22, here on Bleeding Green Nation, we're going to be talking about the other three teams in the NFC South and giving some Meister's advice for the Carolina Panthers, New Orleans Saints, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's up next here on the QBSCO Show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back on the QB Sco Show. Let's go Carolina Panthers next here on this NFC South Roundup. Cam Newton, what's going on with him? Is he going to play this year? There's all types of confusion as far as what his situation is. He's trying to recover from surgery. Behind him, you have literally no one. You have Taylor Henneke and Kyle Allen. And I don't know if the Panthers are in a situation to move up in the draft and get themselves a quarterback or, or take one that falls. Like I, It's a weird situation for the Panthers, and I think this is going to be a very, very ugly season for them if Cam isn't fully recovered. We saw him throughout last year, and the drop off was very noticeable. You know, from I forget the exact weeks, but I remember when I was scouting him for the Eagles game with them, I started to see him really have to start to load up to throw the ball downfield, and it got progressively worse at an accelerated pace throughout the season. He said he couldn't even throw the ball 20 yards in the air. I mean, he was really loading that sucker up to get it like 10 yards. So how do you see this Carolina Panthers situation? What's your advice? I kind of had an inkling that Newton's season was done. Halftime of their game, I think it gets Baltimore. They mm. were near midfield. It was a Hail Mary situation. They pulled him right. for Taylor Heineke. Right. 
whose arm strength was a huge question mark when he was coming out of Old Dominion. And I liked Heineke. I mean, I liked him coming out. He was like one of the first years I was doing this. I always went to his pro day. I was at Trey McBride's pro day up the street in Williamsburg, and it was like 43 and rainy. And then Old Dominion Stadium was like on the water down in Norfolk. And I had some agents tell me, like, no, dude, do not go to that. It is going to be frigid. So I was like, forget it. I don't need to see this. But I liked Heineke coming out. But when you're pulling him onto the field for a Hail Mary situation and taking Cam Newton off because he couldn't make the throw, you're in a bad situation. And, Mike, he checked down on the throw. <laughs> he checked out. It worked because they were expecting the Hail Mary. So he, they took an easy throw out of the backfield. To, to Actually, it was Greg Olson who just leaked out into the flat. And they drilled the field goal to get three points before the half. So it worked out. But it was just a strange situation. This is a bad, bad, bad set of circumstances for Carolina. Because Newton, yeah, he took the month off from recreational activities. He says he's going to be ready to go. You need a, a viable backup option that isn't one of these guys behind him. Heineke... And his one start through like three picks and then he was hurt. And so they brought in Kyle Allen and everybody in like dynasty Twitter was going nuts in week 17 when he threw two touchdowns <laughs> against the Saints who basically had, I think, Bryce Rossler and Mitch Levinson as their starting safeties in that game. <laughs> and so I, I don't think you can bang too much on Kyle Allen. And so probably 16, you have to go offensive line or edge. 47, you probably go in the other position that you haven't addressed yet. I think it's 78. You have to give serious consideration to Tyree Jackson yeah. if he's there. I think he's a perfect fit for what they want to do. And, yes, there are some similarities between the way he and Newton play the game. They both rely a lot on torque and upper body strength. They both have impressive arm talent. They're both some good vertical passers. We know Norv Turner, who basically has this, like, spread Coriel-type offense, which I think is a great fit for Tyree Jackson. Mm. And so I think you have to give a lot of consideration to him at 78, maybe at 101 there, comp pick in the third round. I don't think you could wait until day three. I think you have to get a quarterback on day two. I think Tyree, Tyree Jackson's the best fit schematically and, and play style for them. Some of the other guys like, you know, Stidham and later in the draft, Tamu might fit because of the downfield pass and that's going to be a part of their offense. But I think if they come out of this draft with Tyree Jackson, I'd feel a little bit better about what they're doing behind Cam Newton because we don't know what we're going to get yeah. from Cam Newton this year. We expect him to be healthy, but we're just not guaranteed that. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Jackson and our concerns about him and also what we like about him. Obviously, you know, t tall dude, but I agree as far as the stylistic similarities. I mean, they're both pocket passers. It's interesting. Cam Newton gets this label as a mobile quarterback when, in fact, he's one of the most stationary quarterbacks in the league. And I found that through my own charting of his launch points. Next Gen Stats backs that up. All the analytics back that up. Because he's a tight end. <laughs> I mean, it's like Gronk back there. Yeah, you could stand tall I mean, in the pocket when you're that big. Being, and he could just shrug dudes off. Like, yeah. he doesn't have to be. The athleticism that he and Jackson bring to the table, they're like nice plan C type things. Yeah. But these are two big dudes that, like, will just shrug people off in the pocket. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, your launch point analysis on him last year was amazing stuff. And people are going to check that out. The, the guy doesn't have to move unless he absolutely, absolutely needs to. So, yeah, I, I love the Tyree Jackson pick there at 78. I think that makes a ton of sense. Let's go to the New Orleans Saints and see what they got going in their quarterback room. They got Drew Brees, Taysom Hill, Teddy Bridgewater, JT Barrett. I mean, that looks like a pretty healthy room. Taysom Hill, obviously, is their do-it-all type of guy, but he'll come in and throw a ball. 
every now and then. They'll do some jump passes. They'll throw some screens to him. They'll run option with him. They'll do all types of crazy stuff. I mean, against the Eagles, he sealed Malcolm Jenkins from a nasty split on a block that's, that sprang a run. So he, he's their do-it-all type that can also throw a little bit. And then you have Teddy as a backup. I mean, this seems like one of the better situations, especially in this division. Yeah, this is the best situation in this division because you've got your elite starter in Drew Brees. You've got the heir apparent, the transition plan in place because they bring back Teddy Bridgewater, who had a better offer in hand from Miami. You've got a practice squad guy in JT Barrett. Who knows what you can develop him into? And then look, Taysom Hill, he's probably not going to become a full-time quarterback. He's approaching his 30s. That window's probably closing. But in today's league, you could do a lot of different things with them. And so the only concern they have is this. The Iron Bank is coming, my friend. Because that Breeze contract situation is spiraling out of control. We talked about this a bit last week, but they just restructured him. His cap, his deal for 2020 becomes voidable at the end of this league year. And that was done to sort of spread out the cap implications on his current deal. And under the restructure, if he doesn't even play for them next year, is still a $20 million cap hit. The <laughs> money is going to be bad for them. But they, it, it's, it's given them this window. Where they've got Kamara before they're going to have to pay him. They've got Michael Thomas before he's going to get a big deal. And so they can sort of approach this now as we can win now and eventually we'll worry about the money later. You know, the cap is just a construct and things like that. But as far as the rostered quarterbacks, they're sitting pretty. They don't have to worry about quarterback probably for the next two or three drafts. Mark, in what week does everyone say that Drew Brees is cooked again? Because I've been seeing this going back to 2013 and someone always pops up early in the year if he has any kind of struggles. How many years do you think he has left? I don't I don't I don't see the drop off with him. I, I think he just continues to steamroll for at least a couple years. I'd say maybe you've got that Bears game at the end of October. Mm. I, I would imagine a situation where if that Bears defense is anything close to what it was last year, Brees struggles a bit in that game and people are like, huh? I don't know. Play more man coverage against him. He's not hitting those tight windows. I don't know about this. And then he's going to steamroll through the Cardinals the week after that. And then he's going to land it. So maybe that's a tough game. But then the Bucks, they're rebuilding their defense. And then the Panthers, their defense probably a question mark. I mean, by like Thanksgiving, we'll be back to, oh, he's good again. Yep. And then, you know, looking through the rest of their schedule, maybe that Colts game, if they can really rebuild their defense around Darius Leonard on uh, December 16th, maybe they're again, oh, that late <laughs> season swoon. The Saints are going to be, you know, you can get them. Yeah. They're going to get into the playoffs and you can get those guys. You can get them with an easy one. And then they'll roll over the Titans and the Panthers when they've got nothing to play for in week 17. So I feel like every year you might get like, or every couple of years, you might get like one bad breeze game where he's like, legitimately banged up, but he's not on like the injury report or anything like that. And he has a bad game and everyone loses their freaking mind. Guy, guy's amazing. At the end of this November, at the end of November, early December, there are like some certainties in life. You're going to be annoying <laughs> with your family because of the holidays and Drew Brees and Tom Brady are cooked. Yep. <laughs> and then exactly. by the like, playoff time, both of those guys are out there splitting again and you've made your way through three bottles of Jack Daniels and you're just getting through the holidays the best you can. So you mentioned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's go to that quarterback room, which is kind of a mess. Jameis Winston really has to show something this year. First year with Bruce Arians, they lost. Well, I wouldn't say they lost our cutter. He moved on. They really lost their air raid guy. Yeah, they lost Todd Munkin to the Cleveland Browns, which we talked about is going to be a super fun offense. So definitely a change in the offense here. But Bruce Arians with Jameis Winston seems like a good situation for Winston if he is going to finally have that breakout year we've all been awaiting. It's got to be now. 
So Jameis Winston, Blaine Gabbert as a backup, that's whatever, you know, he's replacement level type backup guy. Ryan Griffin, who apparently they love, and Joe Callahan, who knows what happens with him. What do you think about this quarterback room? They're kind of stuck to see what happens this year. Right. You know, you you hope if you're Tampa Bay that the marriage between Arians and Winston, which should work on paper, works. And so you're banking on, look, you know, there's no movement on a long-term deal with him. They exercised the fifth-year option before last season. This is that year. And so they clearly are in this, you know, producer-else kind of situation with him. But again, schematically, Arians, Winston, it should work. But if not, I don't think you address it in this class. I think you'd have to address it in next class where you decide, look, we're not we'll let, let them walk in free agency, and we're going to see what we're going to get at either Tua or an Herbert. I've been told they like Griffin. You know, and they re-signed him, and so it's clear that they like – and to a two-year deal. So it's clear that they think pretty highly of him, at least as a backup. Gabbard's sort of the – I'd say Josh McGowan of this situation. Like he's there to sort of like talk Jameis Winston through everything, you know, yeah. that kind of situation. And Gabbard, similar to what we've seen with some other sort of like veteran guys to help mentor the young quarterback, he has spent time with both Bruce Arians as well as Byron Leftwich. So he knows these offenses, and so he can be that extra set of eyes and ears when Winston comes off the field after throwing his fourth pick against the Bengals again. And you say, look, don't do that, but here's why you shouldn't be in a situation to do that again. Callahan sort of, look, everybody loved him when he was with the Packers, Division three guy, lit it up in like one preseason, that fourth preseason game, and then he got cut, and so everybody lost their minds. He was just a futures reserve type guy. I expect this to be Winston, Gabbard, and Griffin. Gabbard, the veteran presence. Griffin, the true backup if something happens to Winston. And then hopefully Winston produces. If not, they're looking at Tua or Herbert or Fields or Fromm or Easton and this quarterback class that we're going to start ripping to shreds in 15 days. And I can't wait for that. So, Mark, out of, out of these quarterbacks in the NFC South, which one is the Night King? Breeze is probably the Night King. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because look, he's coming for everyone. You know, he knows <laughs> his window is closing. Yeah, you know, everybody's out to get him, and he's just going to take no prisoners along the way. I mean, if we're going to try to do some throws, comps of the rest of this division, I mean, Winston is probably – you could probably go the pawn route again, bit of an yeah. enigma. You're not quite sure what you're going to get with him. I yeah. think – let's see, Cam Newton, mm. that's a tough comp. That is a yeah, tough comp. Is. I mean, you could go the Jamie Lannister route again. Was, like, yeah. You know, could have a potentially <laughs> fatal injury here. We're not quite sure what we're going to get. Not everybody seems to like him. Not even sure his family even likes him a little bit because sometimes Panthers fans seem to turn on him. So that's always fun. Matt Ryan, I'm going to go Jorah. Mm. He's solid. He's dependable. I'm not going to let you down. You know, maybe a little bit better than people give him credit for. You know, people have tried to cut bait on him a couple of times, but he keeps coming back. He's into the fighting pits, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, he could fight, man. He can go. He just, people, you know, see him swooning over Danny and think he's a bit soft, but like he was in the fighting pits. He was getting after it. swooning over Julio. (laughs) Got a good running mate. And we make it sort of a Julio to Dario comp. You know, a nice little interesting pair right there. Running together, the young, talented guy, the young gun. Yeah, I can (laughs) see that. I dig that. Mark, any last words before? Because I think this is going to be our last show before the NFL draft next week, unless we squeeze one in on Wednesday. No promises, gentle listeners. Just throwing it out there. Always under promise and over deliver. That's correct. That's what I've told a lot of people in my life. Um, <laughs> last thoughts. I mean, again, if we don't get a chance to talk until this, I mean, if Daniel Jones comes off the board any earlier than 17, Twitter's going to lose his mind. If Brett Rippon doesn't get drafted, I'm going to lose my mind. 
I think that's probably the best way. I mean, I'm most excited to see where Rippon gets drafted, where Jones gets drafted, where Stidham gets drafted, how early Tyree Jackson goes. And if there's a dark horse team, whether it's the Packers, whether it's maybe the Lions, that goes Mm. quarterback earlier than people expect. When the Chiefs drafted Mahomes, it was kind of like we expected them to maybe get a quarterback in that class. But I don't think people saw them going early and going up to get Mahomes. Like it made Mm. sense when it happened, but it was one of those situations where people were kind of like, hmm, maybe they'll go a quarterback on like day two. That might make some sense. Get somebody in for Alex Smith. But going early to get Mahomes is kind of like, oh, well, that's an interesting move, but it makes some sense. I'm curious to see if there's a team that follows that mold, like a team that has their guy, but they're like, no, let's go get our next guy and have that transition plan in place. Like, you know, the Bengals people are thinking that might be the team. Detroit might be a team to keep an eye on for that one. Yeah, that would be really interesting if Detroit, I can't imagine what Detroit Lions Twitter would be like if they drafted a quarterback, if they went for an heir apparent early in the draft. That would be fascinating to me. Yeah. Matt Stafford opinions all over the place on it. We talked about Cam Newton. Like Panthers fans either think Cam Newton is like the greatest quarterback of all time, or they think he is like absolute trash and they want to trade him and they want to get rid of him. Stafford, the Lions fans are just brutal to him for the most part, especially after the last couple of years. You know, they, they've got a very bottom heavy draft because they've got eight, 43, 89 and one twelve. So they just get one in each of the first four rounds mm. and they've got a fifth, two sixths, and two sevens. And it's hard to package those, you know, if they wanted to say, get into, I don't know if they'd get back into the first round, um, yeah. but if they wanted to get into the second round again, they might have to give up a future third or something like that to do it. Um, cause I don't think those sixth and seventh round picks are going to get you at that far up the board, but yeah. it's a team to watch. And I'm little birdies have, have told me perhaps that the lions might go a quarterback at some point. So just keep it in mind. I like it. I can't wait for this all to be over with <laughs> Mark. I can't wait to start yelling about Tua, man. We've already thrown it in the DMs. He's not that good. Cole McDonald from Cole Hawaii. McDonald. Bryce Watson's QB1. Let's get after it next year. Let's go. That's going to do it for the QB Sco Show episode 22, brought to you by Bleeding Green Nation and SB Nation. Remember, if you haven't hit those five stars yet on Apple Podcasts or left a written review, which we're going to be reading some of those soon on the Kisten Solak Show, probably after the draft. So if you put in some funny ones or you bash Ben, I'm going to read those out on the show and we'll get Ben's reaction to them. Make sure you get all of that in. It really helps us out. Just say you're following directions. Do whatever, but help us out. That would be awesome. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the QB Sco Show. B-G-N.